Well, you never know what you might find at a flea market. 1989, Philadelphia financial analyst was at a flea market in Adamstown, Pennsylvania. He saw a small painting there, a little country scene. $4 was the price tag on it. The, the painting itself wasn't that impressive to him, but he liked the frame and thought he might be able to use it to repurpose it in some way. He got the, the frame and the painting home, and as he was trying to detach the frame from the, the, the canvas there, the, the frame kind of fell apart in his hands, and that's when he noticed a rip there in the canvas. And he noticed that there was a document stuck in behind the picture of the country scene. And as he pulled out the the document and unfolded it, it looked like a copy of the Declaration of Independence. He took it to a friend of his who was a Civil War memorabilia buff, and, and he said, you know, you might have something here, and you ought to get it appraised. And he did. And to his shock, it turned out to be uh, what is known as an original Dunlap broadside. One of 500 official copies from the first printing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Only 23 similar copies were known to exist before this find, and only two of them were privately owned. As he got in touch with the right folks, he eventually found his way to offer it for sale uh, by Sotheby's in June of 1991. As they went up for auction, they they thought it might fetch somewhere between $800,000 and $1.2 million, right? Much to everyone's surprise, by the time the final gavel fell on the auction, it actually sold for $2.42 million dollars. Not bad for a $4 flea market find, huh? Interestingly enough, it's actually been resold since that time in June of 2000. Uh, Television producer Norman Lear uh, bought it, and the price he bought it for was $8.14 million, part of uh, taking, I think he did a kind of a tour of America uh, with the Declaration and some other things along the way. Jesus when he told the stories, had a couple of similar stories of someone who came across a treasure. And as he told of the stories of these men who discovered this astounding treasure, it kind of forces a question upon us. And the question is simply this, what is it that you value most? What is it that you value the most? Because it tends to show up in our lives. The parables are tucked away in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 13. They're very short stories, two stories back to back, similar themes uh, along the way. They begin in verse 44. I encourage you to follow along with me. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus taught, is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. 
Now, a little bit uh, strange to our ears is, is this parable because you think about, well, who would bury a treasure in a field? But please understand the context. There were no banks. There were no safety deposit box. Uh, your home could be easily broken into. And so if you had valuable things, if you had treasure, you, you didn't leave them laying around. You probably didn't even store them in your house. One of the safest places for them was to find a spot known perhaps just to you or maybe one or two members of your family and dig a hole in the ground and place it in the ground. That way it wouldn't be found even if your your home was broken into. Of course, the problem with that plan is that if something happens to you or you happen to be away and never get to come back or whatever, nobody knows that there's a treasure that's buried. And so a man stumbles upon it and begins to radically reorient his life around this treasure. Now, as we come to these parables, the the truth is you could probably go and pick up a commentary or maybe even different study Bibles, and, and what you would find is at least two possible interpretations of these parables. The first interpretation goes something like this. Jesus is represented by the men who purchased our salvation. So uh, what this is, is is like Jesus says, and there would say, sees our value in us and purchases uh, with his life, death, burial, and resurrection uh, our salvation. And they would reference such verses as Romans 3. There is none righteous and no one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside and together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. They say, see, it's pretty clear that none of us uh, seeks uh, God. And so uh, Jesus must be the one seeking. Jesus must be the one who's doing the finding here. In fact, isn't that what Jesus told us his mission was? The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And I understand that interpretation, but I, I think it's probably not the best way to understand uh, these parables. Sometimes we try to make a parable say everything when it's designed to primarily say one thing. Uh, there's one truth that it's seeking to drive home. The, the second possible interpretation, and the one that I, I think is what Jesus was trying to drive home here, is that the men represent followers of Christ who recognize the value of the kingdom and are willing to sacrifice anything to gain it. Now this, please don't misunderstand, this doesn't mean that that we can purchase salvation or earn it or deserve it. Uh, Certainly there's nothing uh, in the teachings of Jesus or the New Testament that would would lean that way at all, quite the opposite. Uh, But there are clarion calls to recognize the value and to make radical adjustments around the kingdom of God. Jesus himself said, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. He certainly wasn't saying you can earn it, but he was saying when you recognize the value of it, to follow me means that you're radically willing to reorient, to renounce those things. Again, Philippians 3, Paul writes, and Paul was certainly the champion of we can't earn salvation. It is by grace through faith. But he, he understands the value of the kingdom. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I think what Jesus is trying to tell us here, what Paul was was emphasizing in his word to the Philippians is the kingdom of heaven is so valuable. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing anything to gain it. The kingdom of heaven, the the, the rightful and righteous rule of God is so valuable that once you understand it, once you understand what Jesus did to make it available to you and to me, it is worth reorienting, readjusting anything in your life to be able to live in the center of it. The kingdom of heaven is of such value that it is worth sacrificing. And I'm not even sure the word sacrifice is the best word. It feels like a sacrifice on the short term, but it's actually an investment. It's actually, it's actually that which we'll gain more and more and more of. But it sometimes feels like sacrificing anything to gain it. So with that understanding, I want you to see four similarities of these two very short parables. The first similarity is they both recognized the value of what they had found. The one recognized the value of the treasure that he'd found hidden in the field. The other recognized the value of this, of this incredible pearl that he had been searching for. They recognized the value of what they had found, and they determined to have it. They determined to have it. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to have this, I'm going to sell everything and buy that field because the one who owns the field owns the treasure, right? I, I, I've been searching for this pearl. It, it is this pearl of great value, of great price. He sold all that he had so that he would buy it. He determined to have it, and they sold everything in order to get it. But I want you to notice one thing, particularly in verse 34. While they both sold things to get it, while they both did whatever it took to get it, verse 44 says, then in his joy, then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has. Now, we might think, man, if I'm having to sell all that I have, that's, that, that's, that's horrible. That's, that's difficult. That's, that's hard. That's just like hard times have fallen upon me. That's desperation. But he, it was joy. It was joy because he recognized the surpassing worth, the surpassing value of the kingdom of heaven. It, was a, it wasn't so much a sacrifice. It was an investment. It It was a joyous investment. I'm willing to sell everything just to gain this because it is so incredibly valuable. And they sold everything because they were determined to have it, because they recognized the value of what they had found. But they did it not begrudgingly, but in joy because they recognized the value. One other similarity They acquired the treasure. (laughs) They both got it. They both were able to obtain that which they had come to esteem and so highly value. Now, those are the similarities, but there is one interesting difference between these two very short parables. 
And the difference, the distinction is this. One stumbled upon the treasure, the other was seeking it. In the first parable of the, of the, the treasure that's hidden in the field, uh, the man finds it. He, he found it. it. And, you know, this was like, it's not like he had a metal detector out there, right? Like somebody going up and down the beach here, right? Uh, but, but, I mean, he kind of, he finds this. It's like, oh, he wasn't necessarily field shopping. He just, he found it. And in finding that, it just, it changed everything. But on the other hand, the, the pearl merchant, he was in search of fine pearls. And in much the same way, some of our stories maybe feel at times more like we stumbled upon it or we were really seeking for it. And God in grace reaches out to us in both ways, doesn't he? Now, through the prophet Isaiah, we have that example of, uh, of God calling a people to himself. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. And maybe there's some of you, and part of your story would be, you know, I wasn't really like on this spiritual quest, but God sought me. God awakened me. I, I kind of stumbled into this by his grace. But on the other hand, some of you may find the, the words of Jeremiah more like your story. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This promise of God. And please understand, God is the one who initiates the seeking. We know that from Scripture. Uh, but at times it feels like we stumble into that relationship with God. We stumble into a recognition of the greatness of the kingdom. Sometimes God is stirring things in our hearts and lives and we, we know there's something more, there's something else, there's something better. We're longing for it and we're seeking for it and God in His grace allows us to discover it along the way and whatever way God initiates that journey in our life he brings us to recognize the greatness of the kingdom of heaven the value of the rightful rule and reign of God and aligning our lives with it that it is nothing more valuable than the righteous rule and reign of God the kingdom of heaven and it is worth sacrificing it is worth adjusting it is worth investing anything in my life in order to gain it. So what does that mean for you and I today? Two very short, very simple parables, but so what, right? Well, a couple of key lessons, and then we'll unpack it. The first is secondary things may prevent us from receiving God's best. Secondary things may prevent us from receiving God's best. It, it could be that you would look and say, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to sell everything, right? And it's an impressive treasure, but I'm kind of attached to some of my stuff. Uh, yes, some of these assets aren't going to be that easy to liquidate. It's going to be a real hassle to go through all the paperwork. <laughs> and I'm really convinced that in our culture, this is a huge challenge. Because I think we get so busy and our minds get called in so many directions and we get stretched and we get invitations, even some good things. And we get so busy 
And sometimes it dulls us to the treasure. It dulls us to that which really matters most. Secondary things, even good things, may prevent us from receiving God's best. I see that operating in my life. I've seen it tragically operating in the lives of some folks that I know and love and care about. That good things become the enemy of God's best things in their life. The good things become a barrier that prevent them from seeking and seizing the treasure. The second application is the one we're going to spend the most time on. And it's kind of the flip side of the the first one. And that is that God may, and I probably should just use the word will. God may or may God will call us to make some major changes or adjustments in our lives to experience all that he desires to be and do in and through our lives. Said another way, you can't stay where you are and be in the center of God's will, right? These guys, once they understood the value of the treasure, their life couldn't stay the same. Something had to change. They had to make major adjustments, major changes in their life in order to obtain the treasure. Once we understand, once our heart becomes gripped by the greatness of the kingdom of God, then it's going to require, it's going to call, it's going to stretch us to make adjustments and changes in our life. And that's going to be kind of a continuing pattern of our life that will continue to adjust and change as more and more and more our heart and mind and life and love is captured by the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to suggest to you in the few moments we have remaining uh, some of those areas where God may, in fact, is God will require changes or adjustments in order to experience all that he desires to be and do in and through our lives. And the first and maybe the most evident is a change in our circumstances. Sometimes in order to seize the treasure, we have to make some changes in our circumstances. In fact, is part of the initial call of Jesus to his disciples was a call to treasure following me more than you treasure the safety and security of your current circumstances. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into a sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And in that moment, in that moment, they made a decision to adjust their circumstances, to leave comfort and the known behind. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. When you discover a treasure, you sell. You sell what you have to get that field, to get that pearl. When you begin to be captured by the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, you're willing 
In fact, he's at times even eager to adjust your circumstances in order to step into or stay in the center of the righteous rule and reign of God in your life. There are somebody here this morning that God is prompting, God is stretching, God is calling, God is disturbing along the way. And, and, and it means that there's going to be some change in, in circumstances. And I don't know if it means a change of career or location or whatever. It may, may not be that big. It may be smaller. But there's going to be some changes that are going to be required in order to live in light of the treasure. Sometimes it's about adjusting our circumstances. Sometimes it's about the adjustment and the use of our resources. Our resources, those, those things, the, the, the capital, the, the financial resources and other that God has entrusted to us. And so many of us have been so incredibly richly blessed. Uh, but Jesus had an encounter with a man that we tended to know through reading the New Testament as the rich young ruler. And this young man was religious, he was moral. In fact, as he came to Jesus, he was kind of seeking some more. But Jesus had a way. He does have a way, doesn't he? Of putting his finger on that which we treasure. On anything that we would treasure more than him. It would be an idol. Something that we lean on more than him. Something that we trust in or cling to more than him. Something that we look to for our security or for our identity more than him. And so Jesus, with that incredible capacity to look into a heart, understands where this man's love lies where this man's idol is, what he's truly treasuring and trusting in. And so he puts his finger right on it. One thing you still lack. You've told me you've kept all these commandments, all these things. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. Distribute it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come. Follow me. Now, Jesus didn't say it to everybody, but he said it to this young man because he knew where his treasure was. He knew where his security and identity was. And he touched it. I think Jesus has a way of doing that. And he may not ask many of us to sell all that we have. But he is definitely going to ask us to steward everything that we have. How do I handle what God's entrusted to me? What does it show that I really treasure and I really value? And can I tell you as somebody who's still learning to walk with the Lord that along the way God will bring you back to this because because I think there, there's something in our culture where stuff just grabs us and every now and then I think the Lord just kind of helps us check that 
Are you willing to take a hit? Are you willing to do something that's going to drive your accountant a little batty? Are you willing to release something? Because that's not where your security and your treasure and your trust is. Because you treasure the kingdom more. Sometimes the adjustment is in our circumstances. Sometimes the adjustment is in the resources that we get to handle for a season. Sometimes the adjustment that it takes to to be able to enjoy the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is in our relationships, in the relationships of our life. Again, Jesus, (laughs) Jesus had a way of just like, Sticking right in there, right? Just kind of, let's just get to the core of the issue. Whoever, he said, loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Aren't we the family values people, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that like our thing, our stick, right? I mean, I like we're the, for the family. We are. The family was his idea. But what he reminds us of is that even a relationship, even one as precious and dear and intentionally created for you and for the blessing of others as the family can become a barrier, can become a competing treasure to the kingdom of heaven. And I'll just go ahead and throw it out there. I think... For those of us in our culture right now, there is a real pull sometimes for parents to be so kid-centric that we don't live kingdom-centric. And our culture will applaud that. Spend money on this. Do this. Got to do this. Got to do that. Got to do that. And I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying, pay attention. Pay attention. It is possible for us to be so centered on a relationship with another, a good relationship, a God-given relationship, that we begin to treasure that more in place of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus comes. He says, this treasure is worth anything that you would adjust to stay in the center of it. The kingdom of heaven is worth anything that you would adjust, including the dearest relationships of your life. One of the greatest barriers to somebody fulfilling what they sense is a calling of God to walk in a certain way or go to a certain way or go to a mission field is their family. How could you 
moved so far away. How could you take my grandchildren so far away? Don't you know how much that's going to cost you? Is it possible that we treasure our conception of relationships more than the kingdom of heaven? Sometimes valuing the treasure means adjusting our thinking. And again, I think this is one of those constant things that God continues to shape and reshape and restretch us on all the days of our life. One example of that in the book of Acts, here's Peter. And Peter, whose, whose life has truly been transformed and he's, he's blown it so many times, but now he's, he's post-Pentecost, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and God's used him to, to, to uh, bring thousands into the kingdom of heaven. And then he's there in Acts and and he has this strange vision of this unclean food coming down and this command to take and eat. And he says, no, I don't do that. That's not how I was raised. That's not right. That's not, that's just not right. It's not what you do. And he gets this knock on the door and he's invited to come into this Gentile home. And even though it's different than the way he was raised, even though it is totally foreign to everything he was taught was right and wrong, he understands this may be part of the kingdom. And he goes to Cornelius' home. And as he walks in, he makes it pretty plain. You yourselves know, as this good Jewish guy in this Gentile home, you yourselves know how unlawful It is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. (laughs) Changed his thinking. I've always thought this was right. I've always thought this is the way you do it. I always thought, do this, don't do this. Keep these over here, these over here. But God has shown me. And there may be times where God will call you to treasure his kingdom so much that you'll have to think differently. You'll have to think differently than some of your friends. You'll have to think differently than some of the members of your own family. You'll have to think differently than maybe what you used to think prior to this moment. Because that's what it's going to require to treasure the kingdom of heaven, the rightful, righteous rule and reign of God above everything else in your life. Is God stretching somebody's thinking? Is God stretching your comfort zone? Is God disturbing something in you? Sometimes he requires a change in thinking, an adjustment in how we view others in the world and ourselves. One more. Changed thinking often results in changed actions. 
our actions. So that we have to, to act in a way that is different. Our actions begin to testify that we treasure something more than what we used to treasure. And this is inherent in the call that Jesus gave to his followers. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? (coughs) Notice what he says. If you come after me, If you treasure the rule and reign of God above everything else in your life, then it is going to require that you deny self. That you deny, you die to self-will and self-determination. And that you embrace God's will. Take up the cross daily. Even to the point of death. And that you follow the example and the teaching of Jesus Christ. That more and more my actions show that I treasure his kingdom above everything else. And I progressively die to self. I progressively embrace the will of God, even to the point of suffering, even to the point of loss, even to the point of death. And I follow the teaching and the example of Jesus Christ. Or perhaps said another way more succinctly, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know what I'm still learning? Sometimes I think I have an obedience problem. But what I've come to understand is I have a treasure problem. I have a love problem that I love something more than. I'm treasuring something more than the kingdom of heaven, the righteous rule of reign of God. Because when I treasure that, my actions follow. When I treasure that, you sell everything else to get the field. You sell everything else to get the pearl. When you treasure that, it shows up in your actions. C.T. Studd put it this way. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to give for him. When I understand what he did to make possible the kingdom of heaven, When I understand he, God in the flesh, God who could have just looked in righteous judgment upon me and upon you and the right and fair and just thing to do would just to be, uh, just take us out and, and make us objects of his wrath for all eternity. But instead, he gave up the glories of heaven and took on human flesh. And he came and he lived the life that you and I were called to live, even in a sin-scarred and marred world. 
And he died the death that I deserve to die and you deserve to die so that he could offer to us life abundant and life eternal in Christ Jesus. And when you understand that, when that begins to grip you, when you understand the treasure that that is, then there's no sacrifice. It's too great for me to give for him. Let me make one other observation about the men in this parable. You see, they both seized the moment. They both seized the moment. They, they understood the moment. They understood the, the significance and the opportunity of that moment. That this field and this treasure and this pearl and they didn't say, you know, tomorrow. They didn't say when life's a little more complicated, less complicated. They didn't say, you know, when I don't have so much to lose. No, they understood this is the moment. And they treasured it. And they acted upon it. Since I've been giving you treasure stories today, let me give you one more. George Owen Walton was born May 15th, 1907 in Rocky Mount, Virginia. He was an estate appraiser, and by virtue of his position, he often had first dibs on rare coins and jewelry, guns, stamps, books, and he had built up quite the collection through the years. When he had an opportunity to purchase what he believed to be one of only five 1913 Liberty Head nickels, he jumped at the chance. He paid $3,750 for it in 1945, and he told his family it was worth a fortune. Walton died in a car crash on his way to a coin show in 1962. Appraisers surprisingly declared his nickel a fake, a counterfeit of no value, and they returned it to his disappointed family. And the coin stayed hidden in a strong box on the floor of a closet for years. Eventually, Walton's nephew, Ryan Givens, inherited the nickel. And even though it had been dismissed as a counterfeit, something told Ryan that his uncle was right. In 2003, the other four 1913 Liberty Head nickels went on display. And a million-dollar prize was offered to anyone who could produce the fifth nickel. Given submitted his coin for evaluation once more. After hours of comparing and contrasting against the other four nickels, six expert appraisers announced that Walton's coin was the real deal. Eventually, Given sold that nickel for $3.1 million dollars almost a hundred years after it had been originally minted think about that a 3.1 million dollar coin sitting in a box on the floor of a closet for years can I press that illustration for just a moment you and I live in a world we live in a culture 
that says to us repeatedly, in hundreds of ways every day, large and small, the kingdom of heaven is a counterfeit. It's phony. It's old news. We've evolved. We've moved on. We know more. We're beyond that. We have this technology and that technology. We're more enlightened. Over and over again, we're told the kingdom of heaven is a phony treasure. Not worth sacrificing anything in your life for. But here's what I want you to know today. When the final appraisal is done, (laughs) there is nothing that's going to be more valuable than the kingdom of heaven. And the wisest people, the most alive people, the people who live their life well are those who recognize the value of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. And they are willing to adjust anything in their life to stay in the center of God's rule and reign. And so I ask you today, as I ask myself, because this has been a challenging message, man, what do you value most? Do you really value and treasure the kingdom of heaven? Does it show up in your relationships? Does it show up in your resources? Does it show up in your your thinking and your actions? Does it show up in your willingness to adjust the circumstances of your life? What do those things say that you and I really value? What a tragedy to have a valuable asset like a copy of the Declaration of Independence sitting in a garage for years and not know you had it. What a tragedy to think that this coin that is in the bottom of your closet is worthless when it's worth over $3 million. How much more tragic is it to allow the pace of life, the message of the world, the whispers of the enemy to convince us that the treasure of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, is not worth anything that we might sacrifice in order to gain it. What do you value the most? Let's pray to him together, please. Oh, Father, thank you for the kingdom that we get to be a part of because of what Jesus Christ has done for us that we could have never, ever, ever done for ourselves. And Father, I just pray right now, Lord, would you help us? 
because honestly, in, in my flesh, I don't, I don't think this way. I don't value this way. Father, we need the work of your spirit to remind us of what matters most. And so, Father, I pray today, I pray just in the midst of these moments in this room that you would speak personally, you would speak individually to each person here. Father, would you just remind us of those things that matter most? Would you draw us to a fresh appreciation for, a fresh love for, a fresh valuing of the kingdom of heaven? And Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that we would not just do a religious game, but that we would just open ourselves to you. Show us what we're valuing most. Show us what we need to adjust to stay in the center of the greatest treasure of all, the kingdom of heaven, the righteous and rightful rule and reign of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as you just sit in his presence for just a few moments more, I just want to invite you.